All right, so tonight we've got podcast number 31, and we have Eric over. Eric is a CT, and we'll explain what that is in a second, and a firefighter with Mechelen Fire Department just in Belgium. He's been over here for a couple of weeks doing some training with us, and we thought here we'd talk a little bit about GRIMP, GRIMP, the history of it, what the different levels are and mean what the, compared to the North American levels, and just generally his thoughts about the differences between rope rescue in Belgium and what he's seen for rope rescue in North America. He's been on a few ride-alongs here. Uh, he's worked with a couple of firefighters. And so we'll get his input on those ideas. So thanks, Eric, for joining us. You're very, very welcome. Um, so first of all, Mechelen, where is it? Mechelen is a provincial town uh, in Belgium, just in the middle between uh, Brussels and Antwerp. Uh, I've been a firefighter there for 23 years. I have the rank that you can compare to captain back here. And I'm CT. So CT, uh, that means that I'm responsible for uh, everything that has to do with rope rescue uh, in my fire zone. Okay, so... Everything that has to do with rope rescue in your fire zone. So your fire zone, what would that consist of? Like how many stations, how many firefighters? Uh, our fire zone uh, has 15 stations. Uh, we protect 19 towns. Uh, in total, we have around 650 firefighters, uh, 140 career, and the rest are volunteers. Uh, in my fire station, uh, we have mainly uh, career firefighters. Uh, we have 15 guys on shift, plus one uh, operations officer. Um, but we're starting to get volunteers now in Mechelen as well, in my station. Okay, so you said your rank is equivalent to captain. What is your rank? Where you are, what's it, what's it termed there? It's uh, called adjutant. Okay. So I'm a station officer. Okay. And you're responsible for GRIMP, and now that's CT. So what does CT stand for? CT is, uh, is French. It stands for uh, Conseiller Technique. Uh, if you translate it, you would get to uh, Technical Advisor. So I have to run the rope rescue and any issues involving uh, fall protection or working at heights, uh, I'm considered to be the, the reference in the fire zone. Okay. So in regards to the GRIMP system, what does GRIMP stand for, first of all? Uh, GRIMP is an acronym. Uh, it uh, originates in France. So it's uh, the uh, Groupe de Reconnaissance et intervention en milieu périlleux. Uh, if I translate it to English, that would mean the group for reconnaissance and intervention in locations with difficult access. Okay. And you mentioned CT. So how many levels are there in the GRIMP system? In the GRIMP system, there are three levels. There is the rescuer. Uh, that's the basic course. It's uh, also called IMP2. Then there's team leader, that's IMP3, and per zone you have one CT who has to arrange the whole thing, the, the trainings, uh, the yearly testing, and so on. 
Okay. So you mentioned IMP2. I'm just writing down some notes as we go here. So IMP2, so IMP1 and IMP2, how long is that particular course? Uh, there isn't really a course for IMP1 because it is uh, embedded in the IMP2 course. Uh, IMP2 starts off with IMP1, that's uh, 40 hours, one week. And then uh, there's IMP2 and that's really uh, operations. Uh, it's uh, 80 hours. So you're looking at 120 hours, just so the North American viewers can get this understood. Because we reference NFPA, where awareness, ops, and tech, you might get 80 hours total. So just so everybody understands, it's 120 hours to IMP2, which is rescuer. Yes? Yes, indeed. All right, so for team leader, your IMP3 level, what is that then, an additional how many hours? So that's an, uh, another 80 hours. Uh, and when you go to that course, it isn't really a course where you get taught, but you have to show that you are ready to be a team leader. So it's a validation of what you already know. You have to lead, you are uh, assessed uh, over uh, 18 different uh, scenarios. Okay, so 18 scenarios, another 80 hours. So now to make team leader, we're talking 200 hours of either training or assessments. Indeed. Okay. Now, with this, what do you find, like you've seen some of the NFPA stuff here, and obviously you're very well versed in the stuff back home. Where we're running 80 hours, you're running 200 to basically get to the same level. What are you doing or what are we not doing that's making up that difference of 120 hours? I think there's a, a big difference is that um, over here, rope rescue is uh, just part of being a firefighter. That's what I figured. While back home, it is uh, a specialist a speciality. So you get to volunteer for it and put a lot of energy into it. And we get to train a lot more. Uh, we have to train uh, at least uh, 10 times a year. Uh, half of that has to be outside of the fire hall and one of the has to be at night. And once a year, uh, there is a, a test where we, we test a, a lot of uh, different uh, pieces of systems. So just to see that uh, the guys are still up to it to perform uh, when there's a rescue. Okay. So you mentioned this test. So who comes in and tests you? Is that internal or is that external? That's one of the jobs of the team leaders. Team leaders, they test the rescuers. Uh, and the team leaders, they... Uh, we get together and we decide how we're going to test. There are two things that are uh, tested yearly that, that are there every time. That's the rescue of the rescuer. That means uh, you have to do a pick-off of a, a fellow rescuer within a certain time. And then there is a, a rope circuit uh, just to show that you can do, uh, do rope access uh, without safety uh, errors. Okay. 
Um, so now that we talked about some team leader, the CT, you said there's one per fire zone. Is that more training or more evaluations or how does one get qualified to that CT level? Uh, if, if you want to, uh, to be a CT, uh, CT in the fire zone, uh, typically you'd be, um, um, all the team leaders get together and they propose one guy that would be CT. Uh, in our case, it was a little different as we didn't start until 2013 with Grimp. Uh, so as I was a station officer, it was the easiest that uh, I would take on that role. Uh, it doesn't mean that I'm a better team leader than the other one. Uh, but I get to do all the paperwork <laughs> and, uh, you know. So did you have to go back to the school for any further training or is it just a position? Uh, it is a position. Uh, one of the things you can do to become a CT is there's a, an advanced course together with other CTs and uh, team leaders. Uh, and that's a 40-hour course. Uh, or you have to be teaching the IMP3 course uh, mm -hmm. just to be able to be uh, named CT. Okay, so another 40 hours and or teaching IMP level three, so which it was uh, an 80 hour program. So basically all said and done wrapping up, you're pushing close to 300 hours of time into the, get into that position. And that's without all the training yeah. we get to do every year. Okay. Um, now, where is the school? Is there multiple schools? Is there just one school you go to? How does that work? Uh, in Belgium, there are now two schools who teach Grimp. Uh, there's the one in the French-speaking part, uh, near Liège. Uh, and then there's uh, the one in, uh, in Antwerp, the, the province where, where I live, uh, and work uh, and as we speak, the first course of IMP2 is uh, being organized now. Oh, for Antwerp. So it's a pilot. So that's for the whole of Flanders. So in Belgium, you get to choose as a fire department if you want to work a system based on IRADA or if you teach the, going to use the French system, uh, which is GRIMP. Okay, so who decides that? Like who says, hey, you got to use IRADA or you got to use GRIMP? That's uh, in, in, in the past, fire departments have chosen uh, one or the other direction. So now you, uh, most of the fire zones stick with that. Okay, but who, is there a regulatory law that says you have to do that? No, or you, have to, you have to use one of the two, two okay. systems. That isn't official yet, but in, I think in a short amount of time, the secretary of... Uh, Homeland Secretary okay. will we'll sign the law, the regulations that we have to work by one of those two standards. Okay. Um, you said there was a yearly testing, and that's done by the team leaders? The team leaders and the CT okay. they, uh, get to test the rescuers. And now, how many team leaders do you have underneath you in your fire zone? Uh, at this point, just one. So, uh, but normally in 2020, 
we'll have two guys that will go uh, to the IMP3 course to become team leader. So then we'll have four. Okay. Give you a little bit of help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So in regards to, we'd call them runs, calls, jobs here. You usually call them interventions over there. How many interventions would you use or have to go to a year using rope rescue skills or would the GRIMP team be deployed on? It would be somewhere between 12 or 20 uh, and 20. Uh, it could be anything from uh, rope access work, uh, working at heights with the same regulations as, uh, I think, basically the same regulations as here in North America, two rope systems and so on and so on. Uh, and then besides that, we have uh, rescue. Uh, in my, uh, my department, it's mainly uh, uh, ambulance assistance, just to get people out of a, a high-rise, to get them to the ground when uh, they have to stay horizontally or whatever. So for the people that are listening that have never been to Europe or don't do a lot in Europe, the uh, whole idea of elevators is a retrofit to most of those buildings. So elevators have a tendency of being very small compared to what we would find here. And so they do a lot of interventions where they take patients out of windows in order to get them down to the ambulance if they have to be remain horizontal. Because even, you know, using something like a chair cot in some of these elevators would almost be impossible. Uh, to give you an example, I've been over to some hotels where to get two of us in the elevator and put our luggage on our heads fills an elevator. So using any sort of medical thing where a patient needs to be horizontal is almost impossible in some of these elevators. Is that pretty much? Yeah. Yeah. That's about it. Okay. Older buildings might not even have an elevator. There you go. Um, so where did Grimp come from? Like where you talk about France and uh, like where did it come from? How was it created? Uh, in the in the seventies, the there weren't a lot of uh, action sports. There were some guys who would take up climbing or uh, delta gliding and all that. But there were specialists. So any accident that would happen, they would uh, deal with it themselves. Then in the eighties. Uh, we call them the, the, years, the years of Ushuaia. Uh, Ushuaia was a TV show where the presenter would go around the world uh, and take on uh, adventure sports. And then there was a boom. And even uh, people that weren't really uh, experienced would try it. Uh, and the number of accidents exploded. But at that point, the fire departments they could do it, they, they could deal with it, these accidents because there happened to be some specialists, some, some outdoor guys who could uh, deal with those situations. Uh, then in France, the, the fire department, they noticed that they had to do something because there was a new kind of, uh, there was a necessity uh, to eight people who got stuck in, in, in difficult uh, positions. So then in the 90s, uh, in France, there was a, a CT from uh, caving, caving Rescue uh, who came up with the Grimp system. Uh, and by the end of the 90s, it was officialized in France. 
uh, in 99 or 2000, there was the first Belgian guy who went over to Florac, where the school is, and he got his degree of uh, team leader, which meant that he could teach uh, IMP2s, and he started off uh, with teaching it at the Fire Academy of uh, Liège. Uh, in his home uh, fire hall in AY. And that's where we have been going uh, ever since. So then uh, at first the, there were a lot of uh, French-speaking guys going there from, uh, from nearby. And then uh, even in Flanders we, we figured that there had to be some kind of system to be used. Uh, and the guys that are in Grimp now, they didn't have a lot of uh, affection for the, the industrial system uh, because it's, it, it was kind of uh, not the way Grimp is organized. Grimp is organized in a military way. That means you have a team leader, you have four rescuers, you have a lot of uh, discipline uh, and then that's a bit the way the fire departments work. So you get one chief and you get the guys to, who, who get to, to perform to, to, to perform the rescue itself. Okay. So <clears throat> this is the 20th year for Grimp in Belgium? Yeah. So you've got the first uh, course in is Flemish? In, uh, in Flemish? Yeah. Uh, there have been courses in Flemish, uh, but they were taught in Hawaii okay. by, by Flemish-speaking people like myself, yeah. Um, but now the first time we, uh, we teach a course in Flemish, in Flanders. And fingers crossed it might be the first English course this year? Uh, probably in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> might be a few of us on it just for fun, eh? Um, okay, now you've been over here, you've worked with a few fire departments in Metro Vancouver or firefighters, you've done a ride along with one of the larger departments here in Metro. And you've seen some of their rope rescue. What is your, what's your thoughts? Like, what's the biggest differences that you see between what you're doing at home in Belgium and what you're seeing over here? Basically, the techniques we use, the solutions we come up with, they're similar. It's just we have another way of uh, seeing things. Uh, one of the, those things is... Uh, we don't tend to talk about what if this line fails. Uh, so the, the redundancy we have back home uh, in Grimp is either because we have to by legislation or uh, just to, to make any uh, maneuver easier than we would go to two ropes, to just to split the load, the load basically. Uh, that, that's one, one thing, uh, but I think that, it, that really is the North American and even in, in Europe, uh, in Germany, uh, the other uh, Belgian system, uh, in Holland, that, that's basically the way of looking at things. What if this line fails? We don't think to think uh, any part of the system will fail. Another thing is that uh, we based a lot of what we do on training, a lot of training. So we put a lot more trust in the people operating the system. I think that that has to do, that, that's why 
uh, in North America. Uh, the redundancy is much more important because of the possible human error due to what I think is a lack of training. Yeah, that's fair. I'm, yeah, well, this is what it's all about. So, And we just stated, you guys are putting you know, 200 and some odd hours in for a team leader. We're putting in 80. So from that point of view, there is certainly some training differences guaranteed just in the matter of time that this takes. Um, is there a lot of difference with equipment? Is the equipment similar? Uh, like... The equipment is just the same, you know, there, there are so many makes of, uh, of mountaineering equipment, of, of rope rescue equipment, we tend to use the same. Uh, at GRIMP we teach our guys to work with real, uh, the, the poor way, we call it the poor way, <laughs> because if you learn how to work as a poor guy, then you will be able to work as a rich guy, but if you are taught with all this exotic equipment uh, and at one point you have to go back to basics you might get stuck because you don't have that one particular piece of gear that you would normally use to do that so to kind of translate that thought you're basically saying you're breaking it back to the basic principles of what's going on and working with you know the basics back to basics back to principles with simple equipment in regards so that if, you know, you know, run something instead of a clutch, you know, we might have to do a changeover or something like this so that if you lose equipment or break equipment, people are pretty much proficient at going backwards with the older stuff. Yeah, just like that. With a pulley and a, and a rope clamp, you can, get a, can go a long way. Okay. Um, when you work and do uh, training with other departments or other organizations within Europe, you've mentioned, for instance, Netherlands and Germany. You feel they're more in line with the North American system or are they like a third system, not really North American, but not really French or Belgian? I think uh, basically you have, you have two systems. Our system comes from caving. So caving is a uh, real lightweight, uh, not, not to carry around too much and all that. And all the other systems I've seen so far they come out of the industrial rope access. So with whole other sets of regulations and other equipment. We use the, that, that equipment as well. For example, uh, when, when the clutch will be available, I'll, I'll buy one for sure because it's a real game changer. But, uh, or, or swivel pulleys. We have swivel pulleys. Uh, we never... We were never taught how to work with school pulleys in in, uh, in school, but we want to use them because they, they yeah. make life just a lot easier. Um, one of the other things I've noticed, and I just want you to put some comments in regards to it, I noticed that in Europe, patient access seems to be a lot more prevalent or a lot more of a priority than what it seems to be over here. Getting someone to that patient in a a bit of a more expedient manner. Um, can you comment on that? You've seen a little bit here, and you obviously have worked extensively back home. Of, of what I've heard uh, and, and seen on, on, the, on my training here is that patient access is usually done 
uh, with the same system that's going to be used to evacuate the victim. As, uh, uh, we tend to make patient access as fast as possible. Uh, we belay ourselves on single rope if it's really urgent. Um, just to get access to the patient as fast as possible and assess what is necessary. Do, do we have the time to play or do we have to uh, really hurry to, to get the patient to the ambulance, to a doctor, uh, or stop a massive bleeding or whatever. Uh, when we arrive at the scene, uh, and it would happen to be a rescue, a real rescue, then the first thing we do, and we put every, every effort into that, is patient access. The whole team will work on patient access, and after that, we will work on a system to uh, evacuate the patient. Okay. Um, now, you say the whole team may work on that particular system, and you also mentioned that you can go down to single rope if it's urgent to get that. Is that the team leader that makes that decision? Yeah. And basically, every decision made, uh, every call made on, an, uh, on a call, uh, is made by the team leader. At the point where the uh, operations commander who's on site asks the team leader to do a certain job, the team leader will accept or he will deny. He, he will, uh, will deny the, the job if it's unsafe or if it doesn't fit with, with uh, safety regulations or whatever. But from the moment he accepts the job, he is responsible for everything his team does. Okay. Um, now, you guys have a bit of an orders process or a risk matrix that the team leader looks at as well very quickly. Can you talk about that real briefly? Uh, that's one of the things we, we need to do. We have a last-minute risk assessment, uh, and we translate that into the SOYEK, that's uh, an acronym for uh, Situation, uh, Objective, uh, Intention, Execution, and Command. So we, the whole uh, intervention will be split up in, in, in those things. Situation means what's going on, what are the risks. Uh, objective is what, do, what does the fire department want us to do. The intention is how are we going to do that? Execution, basically, it's, it's telling uh, all the rescuers what they will have to do and what gear they will have to take. And command is where will the team leader be and how will we communicate during the, uh, the evac evacuation. Um, and it has to be on paper. It has to be written down. It could be in a, in a, a pre-printed form that we have but it could basically, basically just be in a little scrapbook where we take some notes of the risks that are involved at, at one particular point. That's interesting. So it's a bit more involved than what we would consider like an incident action plan, almost more into what I learned in the military, like a, a SMEC kind of thing, situation, mission, execution, command control type uh, acronym. So it, it actually looks more like a NATO military command set of orders than it does what I would traditionally see here as a fire department um, plan on 
on a fire scene. So that's interesting that it's taking a little bit to do that. Um, when you deploy, what vehicle do you deploy on and how many people are deployed like when you get an intervention call? Uh, normally, we, we would go to assist. Uh, and then uh, there could be four uh, firefighters on scene, uh, probably one officer. Uh, there could be a, an engine on, on scene. In, in Belgium, that means six guys. And then there's one officer. Uh, but we, our team, is, um, has a minimum of one team leader and four rescuers. We have to be on site. Um, at this point, we don't have the numbers to, uh, to be on, on permanent standby in the, in the fire hall, but we're working on that. So the, everybody from the, the Grim team uh, will get a text with uh, the question, can you come to the fire station for a, a Grim call? Uh, and then we might end up uh, with five, six guys and the fire firefighters who are in place who can help to do some logistics. But the uh, firefighters, they can't do any technical stuff uh, in regards of the, of, the, of the ropes. Okay. And now your vehicle you deploy on, what size of vehicle is this? Just for people from North America that are used to like... It's a, it's a small van, but that van only has rope access uh, material. So it's not a rescue truck. Uh, it's specifically uh, for rope access and rope rescue. Okay. So uh, like a sprinter van kind of size. Yeah. Okay. Well, anything else that you want to add in? Uh, to me, coming over here has been a, a real eye-opener uh, in terms of how uh, North Americans think because uh, I didn't, didn't know. I, I just had a lot of questions uh, especially involving the questions they had about our system. But now I understand a lot more about the system and the industrial system as well. Um, it, it's, uh, to me, it's, it's, it's been real meaningful to spend quite some time with uh, the North American, Canadian uh, <laughs> rescue and firefighters just to, to to figure out how they think and when you get an open mind you know it's a, a quote uh, uh, somebody put in uh, yesterday firemen are firemen all around the world so basically we just want to do right and we want to do our job the best we can with the means provided so that's what we do Excellent. Well, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, you're very welcome.